We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast. Uh, the NBA world is reeling. Uh, there's really only one topic of conversation happening around the NBA right now, and we're not really the best equipped to have this conversation, uh, but we're here to talk to you guys about it a little bit. Of course, my name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I am doing um, pretty well, Mike. Uh, I think... The reality of this situation is that by the time you guys are probably listening to this, it's at least Tuesday morning. It's almost 48 hours since Kobe Bryant died. Um, and and so I think, you know, it, it only it made sense that we at least had to touch on it, you know, just because of how monumental a moment it was for the league um, and will continue to be as it stands out as a monumental moment in, in league history. So, um I, I don't know if you want to start 
first or yeah (laughs) sure i mean ultimately it's there's not a lot to say from our end it's tragic it's tragic for so many reasons i think it's a it's a father and a daughter and a couple other parents and other kids who who died and of course the pilot there's so many people who passed away in this terrible tragedy and i think from that perspective it's really sad and then of course the impact that kobe bryant has had on so many people's lives i don't i barely remember basketball before kobe bryant and sam you really did not even you weren't even alive (laughs) you 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 didn't have a chance to watch the nba i literally was not alive before kobe bryant that is true so uh, you know both of us essentially our entire lives uh, we spent watching an nba with kobe bryant and i think it's a complicated conversation with kobe bryant because he has a complicated legacy he of course was a incredible basketball player who won five championships and of course he had some awkward situations horrible situations off the court basically that are difficult for us to talk about and I think for people who want to think about everything that he did on the court and and the kind of inspiration he was to so many people uh, that's okay and for people who want to talk about the more complicated aspects of his legacy that's okay too. I think it's important to have a conversation about both things. You know, if you if you feel the need to grieve, then grieve. If you don't feel the need to grieve, then don't. Uh, it's just a complicated situation. You know, of course, as Suns fans, I think it's weird where every men every memory for me that is Kobe Bryant centric, that is around Kobe Bryant, is a bad memory, and and in some ways that's a testament to how good he was because he was such. A killer on the court he was able to take it to every team sort of fearless uh felt almost invincible that's why this feels so awkward and odd uh for somebody like him of his stature to pass away so young 41 years old all of my memories are, are him just attacking of course ending Co- ending steve nash's last chance at a, at a title of course uh in 2010 as we talked about on this podcast many times that's of course one that sticks out um, it's very sad and it's just, it's difficult to talk about. And I think for Sam and I, we're just going to talk about this quickly. We're not going to spend a long time on this podcast, uh, talking about it because there are so many people who actually knew him and knew his family that you should listen to them talk, talk about it because they actually knew the person, uh, they knew the player they played against him, NBA players, uh, lots of excellent journalists writing excellent pieces, uh, read those, listen to those, but uh, of course we can talk about it from a Suns fan's perspective. I don't know what you want to say, Sam, but uh, the floor is yours. Well, obviously it's a, a tragic loss of life, uh, as you said, not only for Kobe Bryant, but for the other eight passengers on board, his daughter, Gigi, um, the, the Altabelli family um, with with uh, husband there and, and father being a college coach, all of the other passengers on board. Um, with Kobe, you know, I think it's interesting if, if you want to look at the on-court stuff, and you talk about his legacy and the phenomenal basketball player that he was. And, you know, just trying to find a way to bridge this into the sun somehow, because this is, after all, a Suns podcast, you know, that legacy, if it can live on, that competitive spirit is something that you can never question uh, in Kobe that he took to the sun so many times. You know, it almost became a meme because people so frequently talked about Kobe and his killer instinct. Um, but if there's anything, you just hope that that legacy can live on in NBA players and and hope that you can see shades of it in players like Devin Booker. I mean, you you know, Devin Booker never really played against Kobe Bryant except for a couple times at the very, very beginning of his career. But you could see how affected he was yesterday in the game against Memphis, that that he was very deeply personally affected by this loss. 
Um, and I can only imagine how, how some of the other members of the Suns organization are feeling. Steve Blake, the assistant coach, played alongside Kobe Bryant for four years. Uh, James Jones obviously was in the same generation of basketball players as Kobe Bryant, so they had many battles back and forth. Monty Williams. Um, and, and, you know, none of this is, is me putting words or, or feelings in the heads of these people, I haven't spoken to them. I don't. I don't truly know how they feel. But Monty Williams having a very personal connection to um, a similar type of tragedy. I, I can only imagine how some of the members of the Suns organization are coming together. Um, and, and really, I was kind of surprised that the league didn't cancel games yesterday, um, because especially yeah. the first quarter of that Suns game was was hard to watch. It didn't really look like a basketball game as we know it in 2020, it looked like it was a topic that was weighing heavy on the hearts of the players on both sides. So, yeah, I think it's especially difficult for the players and, and, and anyone that works in and around the NBA because, um, this is personal to them. It's not, you know, I've, I've never met Kobe Bryant. I've, I've seen him play multiple times and was amazed every time. Uh, but I don't know him as a person, and, and those are the people that were affected the most, and and, and the, those are the people that still had to work, and, and the NBA rolls along. There's still more going to happen. Of course, this will be a topic for a while. People will be celebrating his life and, and what he did as an inspiration for a lot of people, and I think more interesting conversations will even come after that and, and talking about how we should talk about players like him who had uh, things that happened that are difficult to talk about. I mean... That's that's not for us to do. And for anyone who's listening to this, and if you're thinking, "Wow, these guys could have done better uh, talking about this topic," you're, you're probably right. I don't feel fully equipped to talk about this. To be honest, I, I, I it's not why Sam and I do this podcast. We're not um, here to talk you through this, really. And I and I wish I could. I wish I was more capable. But um, you know, it was hard enough for us to even think of what to talk about on this podcast outside of that. I think whenever a celebrity dies, it's okay to admit that for for whatever reason, whether you knew them, if, you, if you're just a fan and you don't know them, uh, it's okay to admit that it personally affects you. Um, but it's also okay to admit that you don't know everything about that person. You don't really know who they were. And, and I think you explained it perfectly, Mike. We're not the people to go to really to make sense of this issue because we've never met Kobe Bryant. We don't really know who he was. And, and there are lots of people sharing very personal anecdotes about who Kobe Bryant was um, and revealing details about his life right now. And, and they're probably the better people to to really memorialize his legacy in some way or another. Um, but, but given, again, just what a monumental day this is in the league's history, I mean, you literally have teams like the Dallas Mavericks saying no player will ever again wear the number 24. Uh, this, it was just something, it wouldn't have felt right for us to come out on here today and talk about, you know, son's trade rumors for who are they going to get for bench help? It just wouldn't have been right. Yeah. We had to start with this topic and then we can move on from that. And, and I think that more than anything else, Sam, our role is probably to move on, uh, you know, for people to get back uh, to their regular lives and have something that they're, uh, they feel is more consistent, talking about the Suns. That's, that's what we do, and we're going to continue to do that. And I, and I just want to say thank you to everyone who basically helped us today uh, figure out what we're going to talk about on this episode because what we did is we reached out on Reddit and we said, what would you guys like us to talk about? I think that it was obvious that we did have to touch on trade stuff because the trade deadline is soon. And I think if any trades happen, it's going to be soon because the Suns are about to have 
a very difficult stretch of basketball before the All-Star Weekend. So we're going to move on to that. We'll talk about uh, the questions that we got on Reddit. Maybe there are, are some questions that touch on Kobe Bryant here still uh, within this thread here. So we're going to touch on that a little bit as well. Uh, but let's talk about some uh, questions from Reddit. First question from Reddit comes from dbook04. Uh, he says, with how the season has turned out, what's your opinion on Jones going all in to trade for a player, locking in some of our cap to get us help in the playoffs? I think he he probably means to try to make the playoffs uh, and appease Booker uh, or risk waiting until 2021 free agency when there's supposed to be as many stars on the market. Uh, supposed to be many stars on the market, but risk losing more games and Booker being displeased. So this is a conversation I think that we're going to have a lot. I think it's just sort of weighing the value of winning right now with Devin Booker versus uh, losing future flexibility. What do you think? What's your answer to this question, Sam? Yeah, I mean, it's the million-dollar question that everyone's going to be asking, right? But I think, unfortunately, to D-Book, we need a little more context. Uh, just like, you know, what? how do you define going all in? Like is a Danilo Gallinari trade going all in? You're gonna lose a right. you're gonna lose a future asset by doing that. And the Suns have they've now finally reached a point where they're asset neutral. So any more assets that you lose after this point, any more first round picks, you're gonna start having uh, full years of draft classes where your scouts aren't doing anything. They're sitting on their hands because you don't have any picks to go out and and kind of replenish your youth on your roster. Uh, but, you know, or is like going all out, is that Kevin Love? Is it, uh, or I guess, I don't know, I'm just trying to talk through this. Is is going all out like a Carl Anthony Towns trade? You know, obviously that would be going all out. But I think basically the way I feel is that there are ways for the Suns to make improvements to their roster right now that would be beneficial to keeping Devin Booker happy in the short term. Um, and it would only be in the short term, but but maybe that's worth it because, Given the lack of bench production that Devin Booker is seeing right now, uh, and the fact that he's in his fifth season and is poised to uh, not be in the playoffs for the fifth straight season, potentially, and I really hope this isn't the case, but potentially not even make the all-star team for the fifth straight season, um, you can see the mounting frustration, even given the good moves that James Jones did make this summer and the obvious improvement that we're seeing uh, on the court from the Suns. So I think... Go all in. I don't. I, I just don't really know what that means. I, I think they can make some kind of incremental trades to improve them right now. Um, but I think ultimately, just kind of my final point on this, if the Suns want to be a contender, it goes all back to the guys that are already on this team. They need more internal development out of Devin Booker to be a more steady defender in addition to the offensive juggernaut he's become. They need much more steady uh, development internally from DeAndre Ayton to become a legitimate number two option. They need more internal development out of guys like Kelly Oubre, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges as well, as they seek to find that number three, because right now they don't necessarily have a plethora of assets to to go out and go all in and necessarily beat out other teams if a star like Carl Anthony Towns even becomes available. Uh, so they need to focus on the internal development. They can do things on the outside too. I think, interestingly, if Cat became available, and he's actually one of the answers to my to the next question we're going to read. Uh, but just to quickly touch on that, I actually do think the Suns have some interesting assets there. The the thing is, is if I really look at the Suns and I say, what would it take for them to go all in? 
I mean, yes, there's obvious cat. If you can if you can find a way to team up Devin Booker with Carl Anthony Towns, I think that you have offense figured out. Right? That offense is gonna be easy as long as you get guys that hit shots at like a thirty three to thirty four percent rate or higher from the three point line, you'll be fine because those two guys are two of the best offensive players in the NBA. Uh and I think building a team around them actually wouldn't be as hard as I think people would try to make it sound. Uh, I think that would be pretty easy. You'd just be a really high scoring team. And eventually if those guys have a season or two where they play relatively good defense, then you have a title contender probably. Uh, But if you really look at the team and say, how do you maximize the team in the way that it is? What would going all in mean? And I just want to remind people, one of the more more important things I think for this team ultimately is to find another star. And I know I say that a lot, but but I truly believe that that is the most important thing for this team. And for a lot of reasons, uh, take some pressure off of Devin Booker. That's obvious. I think what we've realized in the last few weeks with this team is that without Devin Booker on the floor, they're just not really good. Uh, he makes everything work. He's the key to all of it, and that's because of his shot creation and his shooting. And if you can find another guy that does those things, that would help out a lot. But the other reason you need to start right now is because if DeAndre Ayton truly is a star, then you have to maximize his time on his rookie deal. You have to, have to, have to. Because if you can load up that cap space with someone right now next to Devin Booker and next to DeAndre Ayton, then when DeAndre Ayton's contract is up, you have the ability of using all of what you can call the bird rights for them, to the ability to go over the cap to sign and keep the players that are on your team. That is a huge, huge cap advantage. That means you should take advantage of that. I just don't think that anybody is available. So I don't think that James Jones would likely do this. I think that if there's a chance that Bradley Beal is available, then you mm-hmm. realistically, you would look at trading a lot well, of pieces for somebody like Bradley Beal. Yeah, I mean, the problem is if the Suns... Like, the Suns don't have the assets. You say they have interesting assets. They don't have the assets to get someone like Bradley Beal in the way that they have the assets to get Carl Anthony Towns if the goal is to create a big three. And it's an interesting situation because if you're acquiring a star center, uh, then you have the understanding that DeAndre Ayton isn't going to coexist with that star center. So Carl Anthony Towns is a top 10 player in the NBA. You're willing to give up DeAndre Ayton as the premier piece in your godfather offer for that. But for Bradley Beal, you know, if you still want DeAndre Ayton around and Beal actually hits the market next summer when he is eligible to be traded, uh, what are the Suns building a package out of exactly? Kelly Oubre, Mikhail Bridges, a a couple middling first-round picks? You know, that's kind of where I'm thinking, like, yeah, the Suns go all in. But these are not Ryan McDonough's Suns anymore that have hoarded uh, first-round picks for years and years and years. If Bradley Beal is on the table there are likely at least 20, 25 other NBA teams competing with you to go and uh, go out and get that guy. I mean, it's the same talk we've had about guys like Damian Lillard before, too. You know, it, it's just so hard to get a player of that caliber. So I think, honestly, if anything, like if the Suns are going to get that number three and DeAndre Ayton is going to stay on the team, then we're talking about that number three needing to be basically a wing player. And I think of all the options the Suns have right now, with the way Kelly Oubre is playing, the most likely thing that could happen right now is not to keep looking outside for a trade to come in and save you, because I just think it's going to be so difficult to pull off. doesn't mean you shouldn't try. But I think the most likely thing to happen is that maybe Kelly Oubre, with the way he's playing, could develop into that guy. Yeah, I, 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 I would hope for that, <laughs> I think, more than anything else. But I think just going all in right now, 
there's just nobody available. I think that's really the main thing. Unless Carl Anthony Towns does become available, that the, the Timberwolves just lost their 10th game in a row uh, tonight in a fantastic Jesus. fashion where they were up by 27 points and then they ended up losing. And that's 10 games in a row. And that's a game that they got a good Wiggins game. Andrew Wiggins actually played well and they still lost. <sighs> so it's just a real bad situation for them. I just still don't think they would trade Carl Anthony Towns unless they really don't, unless they really believe in Ryan Saunders. That's what I will say, Mm, because I think it's more likely that they fire Ryan Saunders than, uh, and this is, I think it it looks a lot like the Suns, where they're trying to hire a young, inexperienced guy to coach a team that makes a ton of stupid mistakes. And that just doesn't seem to work out very often. You want to get someone with a little more cachet to, to coach a young team. And Ryan Saunders might be the scapegoat. Uh, for that team. Uh, next question I have is related, so let's go to this one. You have to choose one player the Suns should trade for before the deadline, and what's the most willing uh, you'd be willing to give up for said player? So one player. I mean, this is what I meant when I said Carl Anthony Towns would be the uh, actual <laughs> answer to this, because realistically. Yeah, uh, sure. he's not going to be available, but that would be the guy. If I had to choose yeah, that's, one, I mean, that's my <laughs> one guy player, that's, my yeah, guy that's, too. that's the guy because it's just, he's ridiculous. His, his shooting this season, if you pair Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns, you're, you're essentially pairing two offensive players together that are better than just about any two offensive players that have been paired together in a long, 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 long time. I'll say that. Now, I would say that the closest comparison, of course, would be Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, and I'm not joking when I say that. Statistically, that's like what it would be. Uh, it's take just Steph Curry DeAndre is so much better. Ayton's, take DeAndre Ayton's body and keep the consistent defensive progression that we've seen from him this year to the point where he's pretty good on that end, or at least solid. Then give him Jaron Jackson Jr.'s shooting, and then, like, progress that player forward by a couple of years. You know, give them some more emotional maturity, some more physical attributes. And, like, that starts to become maybe kind of what Carl Anthony Towns is. You know, that's that's yeah. how good he is. And he well, is. he's been very bad on defense this year. It's just really difficult to judge how much that matters with the team that he's on. I, I think it matters to the point where it's going to be hard for him to be, like, a positive defensive player. But I don't think it would be hard for him to improve from where he's at right now realistically though (laughs) we should talk about realistic (laughs) potential trades here i think the most obvious one that you're going to see everywhere is gallinari Mm -hmm. danilo gallinari and Mm -hmm. and i i actually really like dennis schroeder a lot or schroeder what's the proper way to say his name do you know fuck is it schroeder i I think it might be schroeder i've said schroeder for years and i don't even know if it's right what is the is that an umlau what does that do yeah it's schroeder okay there's an accent on the o okay schroeder uh, I actually really like him this year. I think he's improved uh, a lot from previous uh, years, and he actually looks like he looks like a, an actual six man of the year type player right now. Uh, I just don't know. I don't know what OKC is planning on doing if they do end up making those guys available. I wonder what else could be out there. I could see mm. teams like Denver trying to trade for them. Mm. Um, I just wonder if the Suns would be the team willing to give up. Likely, what would be uh, a first round pick? There's there's an actually an option that maybe we'll cover in a second. Uh, that somebody put that I think is an interesting version of a trade. Uh, But who do you have as a realistic person? Yeah, so, like, my frustration at this conversation, to begin with, stemmed from the fact that a bunch of of you guys ask questions, and, and it's not my frustration with you guys, but it's just people keep throwing out in the rumor mill names of guys who are on playoff teams. 
And like I agree with what Oklahoma City values. It makes sense that they would trade a rental like Danilo Gallinari. I love Danilo Gallinari personally. I would love to trade for him. Um, and they would love to add to their stash of picks. But in general, like I'm seeing names thrown out, like, you know, maybe Denver would give us this guy or maybe Dallas would give us this guy. And for the most part, it's it's not such a great bet that you can go out if you're in the Suns position uh, and get a rotation piece from a team that is hoping to get deep into the playoffs like Dallas this year or Denver or uh, teams of that nature. So I start to think outside the box and, and I came up with a name that really has surprised me why no one has thought of this yet. And that's because he is on the 10-win Golden State Warriors, the worst team in the NBA, a team that just traded Willie Cauley-Stein for a second-round pick yeah. to for a nothing, team yeah. to for nothing. So you have to look at these teams that they're bad, and they're clearly willing to offload talent for future assets, kind of like the Suns did a couple years ago with P.J. Tucker at the deadline when they traded him to Toronto for a couple second-round picks. So the guy I have, finally, is uh, Alec Burks. Now, if you think about what the Suns want right now, it's... Kind of, and I've mentioned this guy a lot on this podcast too, but when I talk about the Jeremy Lamb issue that the Suns were having, you want penetration off the bench. You want a secondary creator where you can stop having these disastrous lineups uh, where Devin Booker comes off the floor for a few minutes. And even if you still have Ricky Rubio and DeAndre Ayton and even Kelly Oubre on the floor, all of those are very flawed players for different reasons and you don't have anyone who can really create their own offense. Enter a guy like Alec Burks, who for the most part has had a very mediocre career, but in case you haven't been paying attention, is averaging 16 points, 5 rebounds, and 3.3 assists per game on league average 54% true shooting uh, for the Warriors. Now, given that they are a 10-win team, I think it's pretty obvious to say that that's not enough offense, that it's really led them to any sort of success. You know, you can throw out the empty stats label if you wish. I choose, given what I know about how the last few years of the Suns rebuild went, uh, that this is a, clearly a talented player in a rough situation who does not have the offensive capabilities to be a number one or a number two scoring option, clearly, with Seth Curry and Clay Thompson out, but who you could potentially take if you were a better team, give him a more limited role, uh, and see some real benefits out of that. Like, I see a guy who is a secondary creator, who's capable of coming off your bench, who's currently scoring 16 points per game, not a good defensive player but really just fills the role that this team has of not even having a backup shooting guard right now. Uh, and I just think that would be so incredibly valuable. So yeah, I'm surprised I haven't heard anyone throw out this name yet. Alec Burks is kind of my guy now. Um, I would be willing to offer like, you know, the thing is he signed for a minimum contract. This is how non not valued he was going into free agency last year. Uh, so he signed for a minimum deal. He's a free agent at the end of the season. I think a, a kind of bad prospect like Elia Kobo and a second round pick would get it done you know interesting I, th I yeah. think I think you could get a player like Alec Burks for that and I think he would substantially uh, improve your bench uh, your creation and and plug up a lot of the holes that this team is suffering from that's that's a really good option I really like the point you made about it's more likely to be bad teams uh, that would sell off some players that's why I brought up you know the Bulls as a potential trade partner in the in the past uh, you know, who knows? It's why um, it's why people brought up the, you know, the Pistons too. like Derrick Rose. That's yeah. that's a good that's a good example. Like, I don't necessarily right. think Derrick Rose is a good fit for the Suns, but I think Derrick Rose is a very realistic option. So, you know, I, I'm just I'm not mad at anyone. Obviously, I'm just, you know, asking us to be a little bit realistic of who, who we think is actually going to be traded. I just think it's unlikely uh, that some of these good teams are really going to sell off their valuable bench pieces to Phoenix. Right, right. 
and the Suns bench is so bad that just hearing you say league average shooting is like that sounds amazing. It's <laughs> that would be great for yeah, this team. You know, and and it's it's like basically taking I mean the season that Alec Burks is having right now frankly is kind of like pre-Suns trade Brandon Knight. And that you know me saying that isn't meant to scar you. But what it means is it's just a, a capable sixth man type player who, you know, Brandon Knight, in his case with Milwaukee, was elevated to the status that he should have never been elevated to. I think that's just what happens when you're in such a weak conference where he was averaging maybe 18 points per game on league average true shooting. And people were talking about him as an all-star candidate. Uh, you know, he very clearly wasn't and very clearly was overvalued for that reason. And the Suns ended up giving up a first round pick. But you give up a second round pick for a player like that and maybe a prospect like Elliot Kobo, who I don't know if the Suns are really committing to him long term anyway, um, or Ty Jerome or someone like that. Um, I think it's an enticing deal for both sides. And I think it really just it, it gives you, you know, the Suns are one or two OK bench scorers away from being a 500 team. And I very firmly believe that. You know, I firmly believe you get a guy like Frank Kaminsky back from injury. You get a shooter like Cam Johnson back right now, since the Suns are playing without him as well. And you add a scorer like Alec Burks to the equation, you're not going to be a good defensive team. But currently, when Devin Booker goes off the floor, the lineups that they're throwing out have an offensive rating of something like 80. You know, they're scoring at... It's as if you threw a D3 team out there against NBA players. That's how bad they're scoring sometimes. So they just need a fix for that. It's interesting that he's such a bad defender. He does. He has the body to be a good def- defender. You know, he's six six, six ten wingspan. He, he doesn't seem like a guy that would be terrible uh, on defense. I do want to ask you about. I thought this was an interesting trade. Dynamic sniper twenty five uh, from the Suns Reddit. He said a Suns second Tyler Johnson and Kelly Oubre for Gallo and Schroeder. Who says no? Um, that was one of the trades where I thought, oh, you know what? OKC would probably say yes to that. I think that the Suns probably wouldn't even need to include a second. Now, I didn't see if the actual this actually works within the rules, but I think that's an interesting thing where... Here's what I'll ask you. Because I think it's easy to say, no, you don't give up Kelly Oubre. He's too important for this team. And Schroeder's only signed for two years. Gallo's only signed for one year. Do you think that the Suns team would be better... Without Kelly Oubre and Tyler Johnson, and if you add Gallo and Schroeder to the team. Yeah. 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 And, and I don't think it's particularly close. Yeah. They'd I mean, really, it's, 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 taking, it's taking two players. I mean, look, Mike, you can make a very strong argument with some advanced numbers, and, and I know that's not everyone's <laughs> favorite choice, but you can make a strong argument with advanced numbers that Danilo Gallinari is having a much better season than Kelly Oubre. Uh, maybe not a much much better season but that he's having a better season you know last i checked danilo gallinari has maybe the same vorp as as devin booker he's a flawed player in the sense that he also doesn't fix any of your defensive issues Uh, but he's a playmaking four who can shoot the lights out Uh, and and when i say that i'm not talking about to shoot wants to shoot the lights out and i'm not talking about like a dario sarge type like i was saying that about dario sarge when he came to the suns of this guy can shoot the lights out and he can play make a little bit at the four Uh, but gallinari is substantially uh progressed as a player beyond that level he is so clearly above the realm of a player like a a sarge he would be a a very good get for the suns and if you added Schroeder in there as well to give you the bench production when booker comes off the floor i just do think the suns would be a better team that being said 
what's the ceiling of, I mean, Danilo Gallinari's already passed his ceiling, and what's the ceiling of a player like Dennis Schroeder? I'm sure it's nothing better than what he's doing right now. So if you do believe that Kelly Oubre can kind of capitalize on some of the hot stretches he's had this season and make that more consistent and become, uh, you know, not necessarily an all-defense type player, but a 20-point-per-game defense-first mentality all-in-one, uh, that really starts to look like a kind of borderline reserve all-star in a and a solid third option for your roster. So if you value that long-term and you think that Kelly has that in him, uh, then I guess the Suns wouldn't want to make this trade. That's, I think, the interesting part of the conversation. How much do the Suns value Kelly Oubre for the future of this team? You can argue that this would be selling low for Kelly Oubre if they do look at Mikhail Bridges as the future starter at that small forward position. But I think opening up that space and actually seeing what this team looks like with that kind of shooting and Mikhail Bridges in the starting lineup is kind of interesting. I, I, you know, I think it's hard because I, I really like Kelly Oubre, but I also consider him to be the best trade asset the Suns currently have. That's like a realistic trade asset. So it's hard to not talk about what he, you could get in return for Kelly Oubre in trades. And I thought this was the most realistic one where I think that OKC could look at it and say, we're getting a good young player for these guys and we could sell this to our fans because Kelly Uber is a likable guy. I don't want to trade I don't want to trade him. I do find that trade really interesting. I just think that if you if this of course you would need Cameron Johnson to be healthy. Uh you'd have Mikhail Bridges, you'd have Cam Johnson coming off the bench, you'd have Gallo as a legitimate uh power forward, and then you could have Dario Saric coming off the bench as a backup power forward and it just kind of clears up everything and then here's the other thing if you have ricky rubio on the team which of course we do you can't just have no other shooting guards you can't because (laughs) you can't you just can't just sacrifice point guard shooting entirely you have to have at least one other option besides ricky rubio that you can put on the floor that will shoot from that position it's really difficult and hard to look at this team and it's something that that we should have probably talked about we I expected mean, that to be Tyler Johnson, I think. That's that's really isn't what happened. It, isn't it kind of Javon Carter now? It is now. If he wasn't so afraid of shooting. But yeah, he's the best shooter of those guys at this point. And, you know, I'm actually relatively confident when he shoots a wide open three compared to everyone else. I mean, Although he's the, shooting close know. to 40%. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, he's just a scare, he's scared. He'll catch the ball and he won't shoot it. He'll dribble into defense and then he'll just kind of go back and forth. He's he's a ball stopper in a way that just he, it's not from shooting. I wish it was at at times, but Schroeder would bring a, a different element to this team. And for those who didn't realize, he's he's pretty good this season. Check out some Schroeder highlights. Um, he's it's not the same guy that he used to be. Um, that kind of got off on a tangent <laughs> on that one. You can tell we're not going to get through all of these questions. No, so. I think we can do it, dude. I think we can do it. We'll breeze through if we have to, but. Let's get to one from Thick Boy. He called in. This one's actually an audio question. Hey, Mike and Sam. It's your boy, Thick Boy 7, back with another hot take audio. Um, yeah, I'm here to ask you guys about a, a potential pickup. I'm thinking that our squad, we really, we desperately need some scoring off the bench. And so what are your guys' thoughts on bringing in the veteran ISO Joe? 
That is Joe Johnson for you. We need a vet. Uh, we need some uh, shot creation. We need some scoring. So let's bring in ISO Joe, guys. Uh, what do you all think? ISO Joe, Sam. Ben ISO Joe. To get a question about him. Well, now I'm just going to read off his basketball reference nicknames. ISO <laughs> Joe, Joe Cool, Big oh, Shot no. Joe. Who? When was the last time someone referred to Joe Johnson as Armadillo Cowboy? What? Is that real? Yeah, that's real. <laughs> um, the answer, and thank you, Thick Boy, for your question. As always, yeah. I love your support of the podcast. Um, but but no. <laughs> so yeah. don't, don't. It feels a lot like Jamal Crawford or someone who sh- probably shouldn't be on an NBA team anymore. Yeah, I understand you... I understand the idea, but he's just he's not in NBA shape anymore. Well, are we sure about that? That he's not in NBA shape? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, you know <laughs> I what? Wait, him play in the in the big three. Yeah, and, I'll be honest. And he was with pretty you. slow. I'll be honest with you. I I had didn't watch that thing. So look, it was <laughs> it was two years ago. Uh, yeah, let's just leave this one at at a no. I think I you know I think this team has enough veteran presence, and it's interesting because at first glance it doesn't have a Jamal Crawford, uh, but the veterans this team has in Ricky Rubio, who's been in the NBA for over a decade, and Aaron Baines, who's uh, like 33 years old, even a guy like Dario Saric, in a weird way, who's only in, what, his his fifth season, maybe? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm more confident in his veteran ability as a guy who's actually played meaningful basketball in the playoffs uh, than some of the so-called veterans that the Suns have had uh, in previous years. So I think a lot of the times we need to kind of just drop the age thing, like age age is just a number. Uh, and just because a guy is 36, 37, 38 years old, you know, doesn't mean that he can come in and, and be a meaningful mentor. You know, I saw some rumors recently about Amari Stoudemire wanted uh, some NBA tryouts again, still kicking yeah. it at 37 years old. Then he turned around and signed with Maccabi Tel Aviv. They were willing to give him a deal uh, out in the EuroLeague. Um, certainly, I don't think that would have been a great idea uh, either. So nostalgia is a, a powerful thing. People saw the first two weeks of Carmelo Anthony on the Portland Trailblazers and got a little excited. Uh, and it it's back to not being good. <laughs> you know, yeah. he is who he is. And I feel the same way about Joe Johnson. I don't, he hasn't, even when Joe Johnson was sort of at the end of his career and people thought he was okay, it was the occasional uh, clutch bucket. He still was capable of doing that, but I, I'm just not sure he contributed to winning uh, in any real way, and I don't think it's a good idea to bring down, uh, bring up the median age for this team that much what? just because he's a veteran. <laughs> what was the last time, seriously, that the Suns signed, you know, a veteran like someone who's beyond washed up, uh, and it actually sort of paid off? Yeah, that's like a good one question. of these kind of signings where it almost it feels count? feels like a pity signing. PJ Tucker, I feel like he was twenty six, twenty seven years old. Yeah. Uh, so it was kind of like maybe and, this guy has something. not a lot of time in the NBA, actually. Yeah, maybe he has something in the tank. I'm thinking like maybe Michael Red. You know, that was kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, back in the Grant, day. Grant Hill? <laughs> Is that just too far back? Grant, I guess it doesn't count. No, that counts. Maybe yeah, it's Grant Hill. That's a great Hill. example. Maybe it's Grant Hill. Yeah, I mean. You know, Jermaine O'Neal? I don't know. It's oh, just, no. it, it seems like these things don't pay off <laughs> that often. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I agree on that. All right, let's get to another one. Let's see. The Suns need to trade for someone. This is from Ether42, I'm guessing, uh, how to pronounce that. Thoughts on Malik Beasley, Monte Morris, Hernan Gomez from Denver, or Brunson Curry, Wright, or Berea from Dallas? 
Uh, he, he mentions that there's a need for a power forward and a point guard for the second unit, or even a shooting guard, in my opinion, um, that can create their own shots. And then he also mentioned Dion Waiters as Did a potential he? option. <laughs> yeah, huh? Dion Waiters. <laughs> he said he still owns property I on still Waiters own property Island. on Waiters Island. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say no to Dion Waiters right away because... I looked it up. I, I did. I spent time actually thinking about Dion Waiters. Uh, one, I just don't. I think he's a distraction, um, and also he makes twelve million dollars next year, and that's just that sounds awful. <laughs> I don't want to be stuck to twelve million dollars next year for Dion Waiters. Um, I like everyone else that you mentioned, <laughs> either Malik Beasley maybe being the worst option, but I still think he would be the best guard off the bench for this team. I love Monte Morris. I think there's no chance they trade him. Hernan Gomez is fine. Um, and then uh, Dallas, I would take any of their guards that they have, but I don't think there's any reason for them to trade. Dallas is really, really, really good. They're really good. It's exactly what you were talking about, Sam, with your conversation about the Warriors. Yeah, this is exactly what I meant. Uh, uh, Denver is not trading Monte Morris yeah, uh, or even Malik Beasley when they're in this situation they're in, in the Western Conference standings. And with Dallas, I think it's telling that you know, on the surface, they have this plethora of guards. You think, uh, first of all, you know, I love the suggestions just from a basketball standpoint, analyzing it. I think Jalen Brunson's a great player. I think Seth Curry would be a great get. Uh, DeLon Wright, any of them would be much, much better than what the Suns have right now. But don't you think it's telling that when Dwight Powell went down and the Mavs needed uh, some help for the rest of the season, they opted not to trade any of those guys. They could have easily taken one of those guys and traded him for uh, for a big, but instead they traded a second round pick for Willie Colley Stein, and that's as far as they were willing to go. I think that's telling of what Dallas values in their roster. They value uh, the sort of versatility they get from all of the different guard archetypes that they've kind of assembled uh, and are willing to stick with that strategy. So, again, I just, yeah, I think it's tough when you're trying to trade with playoff teams uh, and you're on the fringes and, and you're trying to make the playoffs. They just don't want to give you good players. It just doesn't make sense for them. Mm hmm. Yeah, I agree from I, I agree with that. I just don't think there's any chance that those teams that I like literally Dallas and Denver, you wouldn't call them contenders right now, but they're like they're like an ankle sprain and a good matchup in the playoffs away mm-hmm. from making the finals. Both of those teams, legitimately. Mm-hmm. Uh because it's not like it used to be. If LeBron goes down, uh, that team is not the same without LeBron on the roster. I think the East it it runs through the Bucks. I think the Bucks have the best chance of making the finals there. But on the West, you know, any of these teams gets hot. There's a chance that they make the finals. And, I, you know, there's really nothing on the Suns that would make them want to trade those guys unless we give up some serious, serious assets. And uh, I don't think any of those guys are worth that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a real difficult thing. And I think that's it, the more we talk about it, I think this is a reason this is probably going to be a relatively boring trade deadline. Uh, for the Suns, maybe some minor, minor moves around the fringes. Elia Kobo, you talked about potentially being a guy that could be moved. He's he's kind of the last McDonough guy left that's not an actual good NBA player. So <laughs> James Jones probably not super attached to him. I'm not sure anyone would need Elia Kobo on their team, but maybe. Maybe somebody sees something in him uh, that the Suns don't agree with. So we'll see. I just think it's more likely to be kind of boring. Um, let's go to Denuma. Denuma, one of the classic uh, Suns Reddit posts, yeah. has been been, been, on there been for around a for a long time. Uh, we can see you. you. Cover, we see you, bro. We see you. <laughs> can you cover whether a midseason trade deadline bubble team giving up future value, young players or picks for short term veterans, has ever worked out? 
and the long-term effects of that. I have good news for you, Denuma. We have a segment that is specifically related to that. We're going to skip to that right now. This week in Sun's History. On February 1st, 1976, the Phoenix Suns traded John Shoemate for a second-round pick and sixth-year power forward named Garfield Hurd. Hurd, of course, is most well-known for making one of the most famous shots in Suns and NBA history, a last-second turnaround shot from around 25 feet to send Game 5 of the 1976 NBA Finals to a third overtime. Won't start until it's touched. They'll have to throw it up. Garhurt, turnaround, shot in the air. It's good. It's tied again. I don't believe it. Garfield Hurt at the buzzer. Threw one in outside. We've got a third overtime in a Boston Garden. It's 112-112. Unbelievable sequence. When the Suns traded for Hurt earlier in the season, no one would have guessed that they would make the finals. On February 1st, when the trade was made, the Suns had a record of 19-26, and 26, about the same record as the current Suns. After the trade, the Suns went 23-13 and 13 for the rest of the season to get to a 42-40 and 40 record, fourth best record in the Western Conference. Hurd played five seasons with the Suns, but his best statistical season and his most famous play came in that first year, here in 1976. This segment of the podcast is once again produced by Cody Hunt. Follow Cody on Twitter, C-O underscore D Hunt. Music is by Calvin Marcus. Follow Calvin Marcus on Instagram, Instagram.com slash Calvin Marcus, Marcus with a K. All right, Sam. So the Phoenix Suns were 19 and 26, made a trade, and then they made the finals. (laughs) This is something that happened. In the 70s. That is nuts. a different era of the NBA. That is absurd. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, shout out to Cody Hunt again for uh, writing that, basically. The greatest Suns historian out there that we have in the the Suns Twitter community. It would have taken me a year to find that kind of fact. (laughs) I just don't, I can't think of things like that. I don't think that way. So uh, big shout out to Cody for helping us out. And of course, Calvin for the music. But... That is a great example. I mean, it's re- it's a really great example. And this is just a coincidence. This is a segment that was already in the works before we got this question on Reddit. But, um, you know, another... See, he did ask specifically about a bubble team, which is something that I didn't really con- consider ahead of time. I didn't really have a lot of time to actually look up and see, uh, you know, examples of this. I think there's an obvious example with the Toronto Raptors yes. trading for Mark Gasol. I don't know if they count as a bubble team. If you count it as a bubble, like a fringe contender then yeah, probably. I think that's the type of move that would win you the NBA Finals. And I think that's the more likely scenario where you should be trading for that type of veteran. Uh, the Suns don't... I, I just don't think the Suns are that type of team. And, and I think you had a good conversation, Sam, about defining the type of veteran that would be good for this team. And I think that's kind of what he's getting at, right? Yeah, I, I mean, he can correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding from some of his posts that I've seen on on our sons in the past is that he presumably doesn't want the sons to give up any future assets. Um, that, that, you know, trying to appease Devin Booker is not worth it. Um, and that there isn't kind of long-term value. I mean, I mean, I think you're exactly right, Mike, the Raptors with Marcus Gasol is a fantastic, fantastic example of this, but they were a cut above what the sons are right now. Uh, the Western conference is just a bit of a different beast. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, I guess you never know if you say that some teams are, you know, if you say that Denver and Dallas are an ankle sprain and, and a good matchup in the playoffs away, I guess the Suns are about six ankle sprains and, and a couple of good bounces and uh, in the standings <laughs> away from potentially being able to sneak into the eighth seed and, and ride it all the way to the finals. But it's not very likely no matter who they get. Um, and it's probably not worth focusing too much on this. Based on James Jones's comments uh, throughout the season, I do believe that he's identified weaknesses in this team, and I do believe that he wants to strengthen those weaknesses, but I I really don't think they're going to put all that much focus on trying to make any big splashes at the deadline. If this team wins 15 more games than than the previous season, uh, I think they're going to be perfectly content with that and just going to kind of try to ride that momentum into next season. I Yeah. Should you be trading for that? Should you be making that type of move when your best player is 23? Right, and your second best player, depending on who you think that is, is twenty one to twenty three as well. You know, it, it, it's it's hard to justify giving up future assets at that point, and I think that's that's where he was getting at with that. And I I do kind of agree with that. I just think it's a it's a real unique situation where uh, Suns fans, I think, are a lot more afraid of losing Devin Booker than actual Suns management. Uh, you know, they're the ones that signed him to that contract. I think they're confident that if they uh, properly have conversations with him about the future of the team, that they can keep him satisfied to not want to make a big stink and try and make his way out of Phoenix. So, you know, I think the the fear of trying to move players is more of a fan thing than a management thing. Uh, you know, at some point, I do truly believe there's going to be a player. I mean, Dwayne Dedman just asked out... <laughs> of the Kings on the year he signed his three-year contract. That's not quite the same as a max player asking out, but I do think at some point there's going to be a guy on the second, third year, maybe even first year of of a massive contract asking out of a team for something terrible happening. And and who knows if the team will actually bend or break on that. But I don't think Devin Booker is at a risk of that yet. Uh, I do think there's a chance they try and make a move, but it doesn't seem like James, do you think that James Jones wants to make a move, I, it just doesn't seem like he's that worried. Define make a move again, like a small move. Like, yeah, like even Gallo. Yeah, I mean, you know, not to prop up my own idea too much, but yeah, I could see him go and get Alec Burks. Like, if yeah, that's something what we're like that, about, I or, could see. Or, yeah, or Gallo. You know, I could even see him get Gallo for a late first round pick or whatever. But uh, but no, I don't see him. You know, I see people from a national perspective, continuing to kind of ride the Kevin Love to Phoenix train. I don't think that's happening. I don't um, believe it, yeah. I think yeah. they value that future cap space a lot, which I find interesting. And uh, you will see if that pays off. Yeah, I, I find that pretty interesting. <laughs> that's going to matter. That's going to matter. I think, you you know... They're confident in the practice facility opening in 2021. That future cap space, we should almost think about it as a trade asset as well because of how hard it is to sign a star here in Phoenix. So that's that's an asset that can be used in trade in trades as well if you can find the right move. It's just really hard to do. I think Beasley, or I'm sorry, um, everyone's going to talk about Bradley Beal <laughs> as a potential guy that could be moved. It just doesn't seem like they're going to even move him either. So not a lot of guys available at, You know, that would be a star. This is a one from Caterade. Not a trade question, but with Aiton taking so many mid-range jumpers on lackluster efficiency... Do you have any reservations about him trying to extend his range to the three-point line? It seems like whenever defenses give it to him, he just settles as opposed to taking his man off the dribble with size, strength, agility. We all know the drill. We've all had this conversation. Uh, Shout out to Caterade for that question. 
what does it take? I mean, uh, the question of the year from 16 to 24 feet. Aiton is currently shooting 33%. That's a really bad shot. Bitch disgusting. That's That is 6 that is 0.66 points per shot. 22% from the three-point line. You know, and Exactly. That would be essentially 22% from the three-point line. So, do I want him to shoot threes? Yeah, I still do. I think if you're going to shoot stupid shots like that, make them worth a little more points. If he can't make them over time, Maybe he's really bad in practice. I'm going to keep saying this. Maybe he's really bad in practice, but the math, and I, I know what everyone's thinking about right now just saying this, but the math adds up. He should probably not take that shot, and given, if he has to shoot, it should be behind the three-point line. I'm no shot specialist, but given how many shots DeAndre Ayton comfortably takes in practice and in shoot-around and the fact that he shot those shots at an efficient rate in college, if he can't hit 25%, of his open and these are wide open threes folks if he can't hit 25 percent on that shot that's the mark i'm setting then uh he's kind of bad you know as a prospect like he you really do start to question obviously he can impact the game in other ways but you start to question what his fit in the modern nba is he becomes one he'd of have those to be a really good defender he'd have like, to become a really good defender otherwise he's an ns Cantor, greg monroe type of prospect quite honestly um i now that being said i have full faith that he can do it given how much he's practiced it he just has to try and right now you you said it it's exactly right if you're shooting 33 to 35 percent from mid-range it's just unacceptable to not uh, let it fly a little bit from three so i think it's going to come in time uh i pray it's soon i don't know yeah. i don't even know how i'm going to celebrate the day he takes a legitimate three that is not just like a heave at a buzzer or something to to save the shot clock uh, the day that he takes a legitimate three, I am going to celebrate. And I think it's a fair thing for people saying he shouldn't be shooting threes. He should be getting as close to the basket as possible. I also agree with that. <laughs> I think it's not it's not an end-all, be-all from any really scenario. It's just if you're shooting long twos and, and making a third of them, that's a terrible shot and you shouldn't shoot it, just period. And you should shoot further out or not shoot that shot at all. If it's late in the shot clock, fair. Shoot whatever you can get, I think, at that point. But mm-hmm. before that, work it in. Work it in as close to the basket as possible where he's very, very efficient still. Uh, Thunder Bob Marley said RIP. Another, another legend. Another legend. RIP Kobe, one of the best. Uh, Thunder Bob Marley, one of the best usernames, I think. Uh, the NBA lost an idol and Lakers fans lost their hero. We loved to cheer against him, but damn, did we respect him. Uh, and then he asked, who is the greatest hero in the Suns organization, past or present? Interesting question. My, my first thought was Steve Nash. What, what did you think, Sam? <laughs> yeah, I was trying to frame it. It's Steve Nash. I, it doesn't two need MVPs. Ex- I, I thought about explaining it. It doesn't need an explanation. Steve Nash is the reason that I started watching basketball. And as I was kind of trying to relate, because obviously, you know, I have a personal connection to Kobe Bryant in the sense that basketball has been in many ways my life for my whole life. You know, it's it's the hobby that I've most connected to. And yet, even then, you know, not being a Lakers fan, I couldn't truly feel what a lot of Lakers fans were feeling. But I thought, you know, what if that was Steve Nash? You know, that's that's right. the guy for for me, and I imagine for a lot of Suns fans as well. If um, we're talking off the court, like a non-player, you could make an argument for Jerry Colangelo, mm. I think, because he was the very first 
general manager. He was in his 20s when he was hired. Very first general manager of this team. Eventually put together an ownership group that purchased the team and then just sort of shepherded the team through the greatest years that they ever had. He had a long-term, long-lasting impact on this team and probably is the reason the team is still in Phoenix. If anyone else, like if, if Robert Sarver owned it that long, it probably would be somewhere else at this point. Uh, he was very important to uh, the Phoenix Suns as well. So that's just another guy that I want to give a shout out as a potential sort of hero of the Suns organization. There are lots of lesser known role players that have come around through the years, obviously. You know, I, I still love Jared Dudley. I still love PJ Tucker. I still love Channing Fry. Um, yeah. Still love Shaq Harrison, maybe for different reasons. And, you know, Amari Stoudemire was drafted and had his best years yeah. here. It's it's another player that deserves a shout out there. It's just, just not, not, nothing. And of course, Charles Barkley, it's just his time with Phoenix was so short compared to a lot of the other guys that we're talking about. Uh, so it's hard to put him up there, but a worthy one because they made the NBA finals. Um, so that's a good, that's a good answer there too. Any other thoughts on that one? No, I, th- I think you'd be hard pressed to find, first of all, a Suns fan that doesn't really answer kind of one of the obvious names that doesn't instantly say Nash or Barkley at least. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Uh, this is from a mime baller boys. <laughs> He said, thoughts on Terrence Davis from the Raptors, super athletic, can shoot and defend, and would be great for the second unit. That's someone I hadn't really thought about, but he would be great. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm kind of glad he brought this up. So the Raptors aren't, they're they're 32, they have 32 wins. Uh, They're second in the Eastern Conference. Again, this is what I'm talking about. Had a lot of injuries too. Yeah, but they have no reason to give up. It's not giving up on him. This is a guy... Terrence Davis is a fantastic story. He had 20 D1 offers to go play college football. He played basketball instead. Became a 22-year-old undrafted rookie that now he's come to the NBA level, uh, and he can shoot. He can shoot the lights out, as it turns out. He can do a little bit of playmaking. He can stuff the stat sheet. And a lot of what he became known for in college was uh, getting out in the passing lanes and and kind of having these highlight steals and blocks that would uh, then lead to athletic dunks. He's a guy who it's kind of amazing that he fell through the cracks. But if there's any organization that has my respect right now uh, and my attention, it's Toronto. Uh, You know, I think Toronto has really ascended to the point where they're at that Spurs level. They're at that Miami Heat level where I'm in awe of what they're able to do, pick out these guys uh, who are kind of diamonds in the rough and just mold them into something that is phenomenal. I mean, they won an NBA championship on the backs of Kawhi Leonard, sure, but then a bunch of second-round picks. And if you look at the success they've had uh, and the success they continue to have on the backs of some of these guys, it's not just Terrence Davis. It's uh, Pascal Siakam, obviously. It's Fred Van Vliet. It's Norman Powell. It's OG uh, Ananobi. You know, they revived uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, this season as well. They've turned Chris Boucher, who is a nobody, into something. They continue to get this production out of all of these guys, uh, and that just really speaks to what they're currently doing, their mission statement as an organization. That's ideally, if you're James Jones, that is the organization to look at right now and try to model yourself after them, because they're clearly doing something right. Um, you know, And you want to have these success stories with your second-round picks and your undrafted players and your two-way contracts and, and G League players and whatever, and not say waste those assets and watch those players go away to other teams where they become valuable pieces um so yeah terrence davis i I think could really could really be something in a couple years the raptors are trying to win an nba title as they probably should be 
that means that they would want a player who's a win now player, a player who would get minutes in the playoffs. The Suns don't really have a lot of those guys right now. Uh, that would be like Mikhail Bridges. If you, if you want to trade for somebody on a contender who who values themselves as a contender, that's probably the only player they look at. Besides, of course, like Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, and even that, that would be considered like the start of a rebuild for a lot of these uh, types of teams. So it's just, I, I really like him, and I think he would be great. And, you know, if you look at him and you're James Jones and you say, you know what, that might actually be a future all-star, like a really good player in the league, then maybe you give up somebody like Mikhail Bridges for him, and you probably take some heat for but it first. But you would get crucified by Suns fans because and, and that's the amazing thing you know about Toronto right now and, and I'm not trying to gush too much over this organization but it's just I respect an organization that takes risks like that you know if you traded Mikhail Bridges for Terrence Davis who I'm going to be honest like a lot of you probably hadn't heard of yeah. when we mentioned his name I hadn't heard of until a couple of months ago you know I didn't know who he was at the start of the season some undrafted nobody it wasn't until maybe mid-December when I've read an article about him and saw you know who is this guy that's actually making a contribution for a team that has a chance to get out of the Eastern Conference and make it to the NBA Finals it's just this stuff matters you know yeah. every it's every also, little piece matters the you know every for every reason you described how good they are is also a reason why it's uh risky to make a trade with them um, you know, like Norm Powell for for a brief period of time, everyone just thought of as a future All Star because of a really excellent stretch he had for the Raptors. They get that out of guys that t- other teams may not get out of them. So when you're trading for one of their sort of fringe players, it's possible they're selling really high on them because they understand that they're able to uh, fit within their role, but maybe wouldn't be a star on another team. So it's a dangerous thing. But I I, I do think he's a great. Uh, player and would be fun on the Suns and the best <laughs> another another situation where a guard on another team would be the best guard coming off of the Suns bench there's a lot of those I think the Suns have it's the almost every team rotation. in the league yeah basically the worst guard rotation off of the bench in the entire NBA uh, let's see do you think this is from King of Nick do you think we ever return to the point book lineup in a couple of seasons, so he's looking long-term future. Perhaps next to a shooting guard that can handle the ball and create shots but doesn't need the ball full-time to be effective like Rubio. Sounds like Tyler Johnson last year, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> if so, what kind of player in the league could fill that role? Well, I guess I just mentioned one. The best example of that that I think of is a player that won't be available. Uh, Seth Curry, I think, is a great example of that. Yeah. He He is... Someone who has point guard skills, but also is like a knockdown lights out shooter off the ball, able to run off the screens, uh, able to catch and shoot, but still able to attack closeouts if he has to shoot the mid range, get to the rim, shoot a layup, get fouled and potentially find guys on the kick out for the driving kick. That's the kind of guy you want. I think that it's insane that I think I feel like Seth Curry was an obvious guy that was going to be good at some point <laughs> to me. I just looked at him and say, that's going to be an NBA player. Wasn't- he can make. It wasn't well, obvious. Not. It wasn't obvious when he had a ten day with the Suns. Well, that I think wasn't a real tryout, was it? You know, it wasn't a lot of time on the court. Uh, but you know, seeing him after that, it, it, it just it just became clear to me, at least. And and there's a reason why the Dallas Mavericks are good. It's because a lot of the guys on the fringes around Luka Doncic are just really effective in the roles that they put them in. It's a really well-constructed NBA roster, and that's the kind of guy that I think of that would be perfect for that kind of role. 
Do I think that they would return to that? I think probably. I think they probably should be doing it more this year. And I think if Cam Johnson was uh, not injured right now, I think we probably would have seen more point book lineups uh, as of recently. They were trying it out a little bit before Cam Johnson got injured. What do you think? I don't know. There's there's something, and I can't necessarily back this up with anything he said, but there's something that makes me believe that James Jones is kind of into the more traditional mode of, of team building. And I don't know that there's anything we've seen from him. I mean, if you think about it, his biggest move of the summer, what he was able to kind of market this entire 2019-2020 Phoenix Suns experience on was the acquisition of Ricky Rubio. That was his big deal. And I think that kind of speaks to, more than anything else, his underlying beliefs for how a team should be constructed. So right. I, I don't know. I'm just not convinced that he's willing to move Devin Booker into the into the point guard role. I think maybe he and Monty Williams really do see uh, Devin Booker as a shooting guard, whether they should or not. Or, you know, maybe we can have the conversation on, does it even matter? That's, uh, that's what know, I really think <laughs> is. Basketball just, is basketball just positionless now? Maybe yeah. if you ask them, he would just say it doesn't matter. And that Devin Booker is a scoring guard. And that's all that matters. doesn't matter whether he plays a point guard position or shooting guard position. Look, Monty Williams would probably tell you Devin Booker starts at shooting guard technically if you want to. Devin Booker initiates a lot of our sets. So yeah. does it even really matter if he's bringing the ball up? Who who plays which position? Yeah. I, I think that ultimately whatever guard that is next to him has to have some point guard skills just, just in general because sure. as soon as he gets trapped – they they have to have a bailout guy that can drive and kick and can potentially you know hit shots on their own if they have to isolate late in the shot clock. They just have to have those types of skills. So you know it's it's a complicated thing where it's just you can have two combo guards. That is, like it's if just, you put Bradley Beal and Devin Booker next to each other in a backcourt, awful defensive backcourt. I'll just say that, but impossible to guard. It doesn't impossible it, to guard. It's just doesn't it say something that the Suns had two options. They had a fork in the road this summer, and they could have gone with the traditional way of doing things, which is get a pass-first point guard in Ricky Rubio, give him the ball, and work to get Devin Booker off ball a little bit more often, which frankly hasn't happened all that much because of the minutes where, for obvious reasons. But they could have gone that route. The other route is to kind of do what you're talking about and balance kind of two guards together who can play either the one or the two and go after a guy like D'Angelo Russell. I mean, yeah. that option was right there for them. D'Angelo Russell is another guy in kind of the Bradley Beal mold. He could have played that uh, that role alongside Booker. And the Suns, for whatever reason, opted not to do that. So, you know, that just that also makes me think that they want Devin Booker as a shooting guard. Yeah, you know, if you believe the Terry Rozier, <laughs> the, the, what, what people have said about Terry Rozier, if that really was the number one option for the Suns, in the off season, it's possible that they don't really picture him as just like an off ball guard. I and mean, he's not clearly not pictured as an off ball guard, but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, they do value his, his playmaking as well because Terry Rozier, you know, never averaged a ton of assists. It's not really how he plays. He's more of a slashing point guard. He can shoot a little bit. Terry Rozier, by the way, having a relatively good season this so far this season, maybe not as insane as we thought it was when we, uh, everyone made fun of it in the off season just kind of interesting and you know i still i'm i know people don't want to believe it but i still think that there were reasons that were not related to how d'angelo russell played uh because it just doesn't make sense that they they didn't try to sign him at all i still think there was something else there i don't know what it was but i just deep down inside that's what i believe um let's see 
What is your most memorable Kobe versus Suns game? <laughs> uh, they're all bad memories. Here's the funniest Not part. Not all of them. Mine isn't a bad memory. Well, and I'll let you do yours last then here. Because when I think of Kobe versus the Suns, I think of Kobe versus the Suns. Like, I think of him just sort of dominating against the Suns. The Suns did actually knock Kobe and the Lakers out of the playoffs a few times in his prime. I just don't think of those as Kobe memories. I, I think of them almost as something different. But uh, what do you have? Yeah, I mean, I've got what exactly what you're talking about. 2006, the Lakers take a uh, 3-1 lead on the Suns and end up pushing them to seven games when they had no business doing that. And that was all Kobe, man. That was a 45-win team. Uh, in, in that series, I pulled up the stats. Kobe averaged 28 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists per game. He shot 50% from the field. He shot 40% from deep. That right there breaks a couple of narratives. There were that was the narrative of Kobe being a ball hog. He got assists on a team where he shared uh, kind of ball handling duties with Smush Parker. So I think he, he wasn't maybe as much of a ball hog as people try to paint him as. Um, and the idea that he's a chucker, and in that series, he certainly wasn't. But in particular... Game six, the Suns go into this game down three to two, and it goes to overtime. I think what Suns fans remember this game most for is Tim Thomas hits a three to tie it and send mm-hmm. it to overtime. Do you remember this game? Mm-hmm. And Kobe was transcendent, you know, in this game. He had 50 points, and it took a Tim Thomas, of all people, three to send it to overtime. And the Suns finally were able to pull it out in the overtime. Steve Nash had 32 points, 13 assists in this game. But Kobe was was kind of the story of it, at least until that overtime period when the Suns won with his 50 points, just entirely putting the Lakers team on his back, trying to close out that series against Phoenix, but ultimately couldn't. In the most Mike D'Antoni fashion, the Suns played basically like a six or seven man rotation. <laughs> uh, Sean Marion had 50 minutes played in this game. Jesus. Boris Dio had 49 Leandro Barbosa had 48, Steve Nash had 47, and then Tim Thomas played 34, and James Jones, current GM, of course, played 24, and that was basically the entire rotation. A couple (laughs) other guys logged like two or three minutes. I didn't even remember James Jones playing in that game. That's actually really funny. James Jones played a very important, it's kind of interesting, you know, James Jones played a pretty important role when Sotomayor went down in 2006 he really he started a decent number of games that season and then he kind of became a little bit more of an afterthought the season after he was still on the roster but he just was he's kind of the cam johnson if you want to make a comparison he was there to hit a few threes and that was it if anyone can understand the value of having a guy that's like over six seven that can be a knockdown shooter yeah it's james jones yeah for (laughs) sure valuable thing but but man kobe tried to close out a much better team in phoenix wasn't able to uh phoenix tied the series three to three and then they go back home and they blow out the lakers in game seven and they move on that's right uh that's a great one so and and my my memory is just grant hill and jared dudley diving at kobe bryant as he makes dagger after dagger in the 2010 playoffs i just that's just a very memorable thing to have happened and i was funny enough i was at uh, Stoudemire's, which is Amari Stoudemire's restaurant that is in downtown what? Phoenix, right next to the arena. And I was what? watching the game with a bunch of um, Suns fans. As wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. That exists? It did. Oh. Uh, it does It does not anymore. Was it, it actually did exist a little bit. No, it wasn't good. Uh, no. But it was a good place to meet up with Suns fans when they were good and watch the games. Lots of TVs. And it's called like the park now. It's, it's still the same 
basic idea, but uh, back then it was owned by Amari Stoudemire. Well, I think they, the, the, I don't know. They licensed his name. The owners kind of didn't, I don't know. It was weird. But the point is I was surrounded by Suns fans and we all left in like this weird haze of sadness. <laughs> and it was, a, it's a weird, sad memory that I have. And like I said, I think there's something to be said about that being the lasting impression that he has. I think that's like a level of respect right there that there's just, there's so many bad memories that Mm -hmm. the fact that I hate, I hated him, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, that's what it was. I hated him and it was a sports hate. Like it, you know, that's really what it is. And, but, but I felt it, (laughs) it was an emotional thing more than it was logical or anything else, you know, and that's pretty um, amazing to do to do that and consistently do it for a long period of time. So I think that's my memory. So sorry, Suns fans listening, but that's the one. Um, I think we have we have one question. I will say from Malachi Ashes. That is a great question, but it's more of like a question that would be an entire podcast, uh, which which is a great idea. And he said it'd be cool to look at all twenty nine teams and see which point guards and power forwards would be a good fit for the Suns. I didn't really have time to do that. I don't know if you have any options there, Sam, but I, I will say, as we talked about, just about every backup point guard for every team I think I would take at this point. Um, I mean, we even just we even talked about the Warriors' backup point guard, and that's one of the worst teams in the NBA. They would still be an upgrade, I think. But did you have an answer for this one? I, I do not. It, it would require a more in-depth yeah, I don't analysis, want to do that. Like you said, we've got one more episode before the trade deadline. Although next week, I'm hoping that maybe their on court play will actually be worth <laughs> talking. And talking we about might a talk bit. about a trade. I mean, that might yeah, be what our possible. next episode is. You know, it might. Um, so the other, we have two more. One's from Tizdu. It's just what the fuck. Which, like, I know, man. <laughs> kind of, we all felt that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the last serious question, I think. Um, from a guy named one of the many Sams. Is this is this your burner, Sam? Wait, what's his name? <laughs> one of the many Sams. <laughs> uh, he said, and I think this is a great question. I saved it oh, for last. Yeah. What do you think will constitute a successful season from now till the end of the season? Expectations have been shifted and have changed throughout the season. Yeah. Aaron I mean, Beans was an all-star not, at the beginning of the season. It's not that hard. I don't you know, think, you know, Monty Williams, coach of the year, DeAndre Ayton, most improved 40% from deep Devin Booker yeah. MVP. I think and, if we trade for someone that makes actually, interestingly, is there any player that you think the Suns can trade that would get us to the finals that would get the Phoenix Suns to the NBA finals? Like realistically trade for the way that it happened in the seventies with Gar Hurd. with Gar Hurd. Uh, <laughs> who's the Gar Hurd of the NBA in 2020? <laughs> I do not have the like. This is a Bill. That's such a Bill Simmons question, by the way. He would know immediately. He would, <laughs> that's yeah, what actually what Bill Simmons is great at. Um, if you Gar had to trade Heard for one player, was twenty seven years old when he was traded. Yeah, from Buffalo to Phoenix. You like would Giannis? If Giannis was traded for the Suns, Giannis is not the Gar Heard of the NBA today. I think Giannis is interesting because you really have to have the right fit around him. Giannis is not the guard heard of the I know he's not. I'm just trying to think if there's any single player that could get the Suns, because they had 19 wins at that time, uh, you know, in the 70s, in the This Week in Suns history segment. I think it would be like Bam Adebayo is the guard heard of the NBA today. He's really good. I know, but he's like (laughs) 
but he's the gar herd. You know, he's he's in a weird market where he's not that marketable yet. If Pascal and he's Siakam, got a funny and he's got a funny name and he isn't like a scorer, <laughs> but he makes an impact. So if Pascal I'm sticking Siakam with that. was on the Suns in Dario Saric's place. Could the Suns make the finals? Yes. No, I guess not. You think so? Uh, I mean, in in the way that like, no, they they don't make the finals, not in the <laughs> West, but but they make they make the Western Conference Finals if you know someone in the way that Portland did last year. They could do that. Yeah. Right. Right. With the right matchups. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, that's not the question he asked. I guess it's just kind of interesting. Uh, what do you think would constitute a successful season? I think. If DeAndre Ayton continues to show defensive improvement, that's the most important thing for this team going forward to me. If he can become like a real effective rim protector and defensive player on the perimeter, that's really, really good uh, for this team and very, very important. And then if he figures out the offense on top of that towards the end of the season in a way that I think is sustainable going forward, uh, that would be huge for this team. And I think his... His development is the most important thing. There's obviously other things there. Um, if they can double their win total, 38 wins would be awesome. I think I predicted 37, and I was being optimistic, as you remember, Sam. Uh, but 38 wins, I think, would be really awesome. I, I wouldn't consider less than that to be an unsuccessful season. I mean, they're already at 19 wins. That's what they won last year. In a sense, it's already kind of a success. Uh, but I think it's it's fair to expect a lot more than that from this team. Uh, it's an interesting question. What do you think? Yeah, I, I predicted 33 wins. I think that's satisfactory <laughs> if they can reach that. I think like 35 is a successful season. Um, and, and I just, I'm pretty simple to be serious. You know, I, I just don't want any PR nightmares. Like just, just survive another half a season without Devin Booker trade rumors. And, you know, no one else gets suspended and no one puts a goat in james jones's office and you know just just <laughs> cover the bases and have to buy beer yeah james no fans. no beer from james jones and yeah I, I think it's pretty simple just function like a normal basketball team that's not in crisis <laughs> mode constantly uh win 35 games make the moves to get up to the upper maybe not even upper like the lower to mid 40s next year and go into 2021 with your cap space and your brand new fancy practice facility and a prime Devin Booker and a DeAndre Ayton in the final year of, of his rookie contract before you have to extend him um, and pray to God that someone wants to sign with you. Yeah. Uh, I think they're right on track. Yeah, I think um, that's right. And I think that is the long-term vision for this franchise. And it's up to James Jones to hold a Robert Sarver, an anxious owner, back from forcing them to accelerate that and get a guy like Kevin Love on the team, uh, making it really difficult to sign anyone that year. Uh, I think that's a really good that's a really good way of, of looking at the rest of the season. And I also think it's kind of sad and depressing that you're just like, just don't be like a complete shit show. <laughs> and that would be enough. <laughs> but I think you're right. I think that's actually a fair thing to say. Just be like a regular, competent NBA team. You know, it's not to say that every move they've made has been the best, best, best option, but just improving and finding ways to get better over time is the most important thing. This trade deadline, and it's I believe it's February 6th, so we'll have another episode before the deadline, but trades I think are going to start trickling out soon. I don't, I'm not sure if it's going to be one of those deadlines 
yeah, where if, everything happens the last second. We'll see I know there happens. are at least a few fans of, uh, or not fans, but just listeners of our podcast who are new fans to the NBA. So if in case this is your first trade deadline, don't expect much before the day of. Um, you know, I would just caution you on, on all the hype. Like 90% of the trades happen in the 12 hours before the deadline. Wouldn't you yeah. say, Mike? So, you know, sometimes... Well, as of some, recently, yes. And especially with Ryan McDonough. Like he waited till the yeah, last Yeah, and I'm not even just talking about the Suns. I'm talking about the league as a whole. Like it's just occasionally you get a blockbuster deal, but but don't stay glued to your phones for every Woj and Shams tweet. Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of retweeted stories about Kobe Bryant in those if you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's fair. That's the story right now. Here's the reason the Suns might want to look at making a trade sooner than later. I'm just going to read off the next few games. Uh, Dallas, this is up until the the, the uh, All-Star weekend, which is like Valentine's weekend. Uh, Dallas, OKC, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Detroit, one of the only easy games there. Houston, Denver, Lakers, and then Golden State Warriors, the last Jesus. game before. Yeah. Could you imagine if Golden State was healthy? Just how much harder this season would be, too? Yeah. If, if, if that was another four games you everyone. had to worry about? Well, we'd be out of... I mean, the Suns would be completely out of the playoff race at that point. It would just be there's eight great teams in the West, and everyone else just gets slaughtered by those eight great teams. <laughs> That's just what it would be. And, uh, you know, back to what we're used to, I guess, uh, in a sense, just with a slightly better team. It'd be really difficult, but yeah, that's that's why I look at it and I say maybe maybe they'll want to make at least some sort of fringe move to try and get some sort of playmaker off the bench if they can. It's just not as easy as we would like it to be. But to any other thoughts before we end this one, Sam? That's a really tough stretch, and the Suns have the hardest strength of schedule for the rest of the season. So it's going to be an uphill battle. Um, hopefully, you'll stick with us. <laughs> and That's stick right. with the Suns, too, <laughs> assuming they don't embarrass us too much. Yeah, back-to-back extra-long episodes, so thank you, everyone, for sticking around for this long one as well. And, of course, as always, uh, we'll be back next week. Next week, I probably can't record on the weekend, so probably another Monday night record with a Tuesday night release. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Finally over. Notfest Roadshow is back. October 13th, Jiffy Lube Live. Featuring Slipknot. With Kill Switch Engage, Fever 333, and Code Orange. Tickets on sale now at LiveNation.com. Part of the Mattress Warehouse Concert Series.